The theme of the market summit is that history doesn't repeat itself, but it sometimes rhymes. In the context of what's going on in the global economy and in financial markets, that doesn't mean necessarily that things are easy to predict, but it does mean that we can identify trends, historical trends, and see how they can help us navigate things going forward. And this is an opportunity for me to give you my key investment convictions, and you'll hear that some of the things I have to say very much rely on the past and how markets have performed in similar eras to the one that I think we're entering today. The last three years have seen a significant increase in global interest rates. This came after the inflation shock, which was in large part triggered by disruptions to global supply chains following the COVID pandemic in 2020 and 2021. Interest rates have been increased to levels that we haven't seen for many, many years. This new high level of interest rates come after many years when central banks kept interest rates extremely low. This was quaintly termed as unconventional monetary policy. It was designed to prevent deflation following the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. Central banks cut rates to extremely low levels. Sometimes, as in the case in Europe, interest rates were even negative. But they also did other things. They bought government bonds and expanded liquidity at the same time as expanding the size of their own balance sheets. Now, this went on for a decade. The whole of the 2010s was characterized by these unconventional monetary policies. And for many in the markets and some financial commentators, this unconventional monetary policy kind of morphed into becoming the new conventional monetary policy. Investors, traders, and financial market analysts got used to the fact that whenever there was bad news on the economy or volatility in equity markets, central banks would just cut interest rates again and add liquidity to the system. And this worked well for some time. It created liquidity, which was helpful to banks. It delivered very low interest rates, which were helpful to households because we could all get mortgages with much lower mortgage rates. And it was helpful to companies because they were able to reduce their borrowing costs when they needed to borrow to finance their investment plans. But looking back, it seems also that these unconventional monetary policies had some distorting effects on the global economy. They probably led to an inefficient allocation of capital. In Europe, when we had negative interest rates, it caused problems for banks. And many would argue that these unconventional monetary policies also contributed to uh, income inequality and the growth in, in the income gap between the rich and the poor, because rich people benefited from the fact that financial markets did very well on the basis of these low interest rate policies. But now that's over, and we're entering a period, I think, where interest rates are going to remain higher for longer. Now, there are lots of reasons why interest rates will remain high, and economists would debate all those factors that influence the level of interest rates. And we haven't got time today to go into all the different arguments. But I want to focus on, on three things because they are important and they're important for investors. If we are faced with interest rates being higher than they were during the last decade, that has implications for how fixed income markets will perform. It has implications for how you as investors should make your asset allocation decisions 
and how you will construct portfolios, particularly in the sphere of a multi-asset investment strategy. The first kind of thing to talk about is central banks themselves. Uh, they kept interest rates low during the 2010s because there was a fear about deflation. Now, whether or not we would have got deflation, who knows? Uh, the counterfactual is impossible to uh, prove. But inflation was very low, and often it was below the level that central banks themselves were targeting, which was a global norm of around 2%. So interest rates were kept low and balance sheets were expanded to try to prevent uh, deflation. But that all came to an abrupt end in 2020, 2021, when inflation picked up and central banks had to quickly raise interest rates to combat inflation. The first time that they really had to do that for getting it on for 20 years. What happens now going forward? Well, I think we can look back on the last decade and see it very much as an anomaly. It wasn't the norm. Interest rates were artificially depressed and the activities of central banks in the financial markets kept long-term bond yields lower than they would normally have been. And now we're moving back to a more normalised situation. Central banks are faced with still having to bring inflation down. Uh, inflation is still above central bank target levels. We've seen a, a decline in inflation over the last year or so, but there's still some way to go before central banks are in a position where they can cut interest rates. But importantly, I think the lessons of the QE era have been learned, and central banks are unwinding uh, their policy stance from that era. Central bank balance sheets are being reduced. Interest rates are high, and real interest rates have actually turned positive again for the first time in over a decade. And behind the policymakers and behind the public pronouncements on interest rates, there are teams of academics at central banks who are busy working away, trying to identify what the real equilibrium interest rate should be, given where we are in the economic cycle. Now, this is something that is completely unobservable. Uh, you can only estimate it by looking backwards. But economists like to think they can forecast these things, even though they're unobservable. And the consensus view is that the real equilibrium interest rate has gone up. The global economy today requires a higher interest rate than it did during the period when we were worried about deflation and we were worried about a balance sheet recession. And that was the period in the 10 years after the global financial crisis. So I think central bank thinking has changed, and that tends to suggest that interest rates will be higher. The second point is about inflation, because inflation really should be the focus uh, of central banks' policymaking. Uh, inflation was very low during the 2010s. Uh, only in Japan did it turn negative for any prolonged period of time, but it flirted with being negative in other developed economies at times during that period. But the COVID supply shock pushed inflation up to levels that we haven't seen since the 1980s. And this was a shock to central banks. And they responded in the only way that they know how to respond, and that is to raise rates. Where we are today, I think, is in a position where inflation will go down a little bit more over the next coming months and quarters. But the argument about inflation is much more two-sided today. Risks lie on both sides. It may have been that most of the risks were to the downside during the 2010s, but today they're more evenly balanced. We've had disruptions to global supply chains, and so that was vividly um, uh, illustrated during the immediate post-COVID 
situation. We've ha- also had geopolitical events that threaten inflation stability. Think about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which pushed up global energy prices. More recently, we've had events in the Red Sea disrupting shipping traffic and leading to higher costs uh, for freight, which will get passed on uh, and show up to some extent in final consumer prices. Also, I think there are other more secular things that will tend to put a floor under inflation. One of them is the energy transition. As a society, we've decided to move away from fossil fuels to more renewable sources of energy, and that's costly. Uh, And the disruptions it creates within the energy sector will tend to push prices higher, at least in the uh, immediate future. And that in itself is something that will possibly add to the overall rate of inflation, but more importantly, will add to the uncertainty about inflation. And it's that Second point that's also very important, during the great period of disinflation which began in the early 1980s, inflation came down and interest rates followed. But what also happened during the 2010s, so 1990s and the 2010s, was that the volatility inflation stayed very low as well. That means that it was more predictable. There were no inflation shocks. Now, there were a few shocks related to periodic increases in food and energy prices. But on the whole, people thought that inflation would stay around 2% globally. And that was important in allowing the risk premium in the interest rate curve to come down. So not only did we have lower inflation, but we also had more predictable inflation, which meant less uncertainty and a lower risk premium in long-term interest rates. So the behavior of inflation allowed interest rates to come down significantly and stay low. 2021 kind of put a spanner in the works of that, inflation volatility picked up, and we're still now uh, at a point in time where the outlook for inflation over the next couple of years is still uncertain. I mentioned the disruptions we've seen to global uh, supply chains, but also people have got used to getting higher wage growth again, and that may continue to affect inflationary pressures for some time. So that's the second reason why uh, interest rates may remain high. The third reason is a bit more difficult to identify in real time, but economic theory tells us that the cost of capital is the long-term interest rate. And long-term interest rates are the price at which the demand for capital equals the supply of capital. In other words, where savings equal investment. And during the early part of this decade, there were lots of theories about why long-term real interest rates were so low. A lot was to do with the increased current account surplus in China, which reflected the high level of savings in China, which added to the global supply of savings. Places like Japan already had high levels of savings, uh, and demographic trends also contributed to higher savings rates. The former US Treasury Secretary, Larry Summers, described this phenomena as the global savings glut. So savings was high relative to investment, and that allowed long-term real interest rates to stay low. We're perhaps seeing a reversal of some of the factors that affected those levels of savings. In the West, Uh, populations are aging. And as people get older, they tend to run down their savings level. Also, the demographic profile suggests that there are going to be more retired people relative to people in work. And that works against an increase in savings. At the same time, investment is picking up. 
We need more investment to finance the green revolution. Governments are borrowing more. They borrowed a lot during the COVID period and now facing perhaps the need for additional defence spending because of heightened geopolitical tensions, they're going to be spending even more. Government borrowing is a significant threat to the stability of interest rates in coming years. And at the same time, uh, we have the technology revolution or the new technology re revolution, artificial intelligence. If artificial intelligence does raise the return on investment, then more investment projects will be launched and that will increase the demand for savings for capital. And that in itself could lead to higher real interest rates. So I think there are a number of reasons why we've gone back to a period that characterised the years before the global financial crisis, where interest rates were higher, real interest rates were higher, uh, and uh, central banks had to be more focused on making frequent changes in policy interest rates in order to keep inflation under control. If that is the case, it has significant implications for how you manage your portfolios. For one thing, the level of interest rates will be reflected in higher bond yields. And higher bond yields mean you can get more income from a fixed income portfolio. That was certainly not the case for much of the time over the last 10 years. But today, with bond yields well above 5% for corporate debt in the United States and around 4% in Europe, investors are able to invest in fixed income securities and get more income as a proportion of total return. That wasn't the case for a lot of the last 10 or 15 years. So that's a big change in the investment environment. And I think it will be reflected in a greater allocation to fixed income in multi-asset portfolios. The second related point is that bonds now can go back to what they used to do, and that is help diversify portfolios more effectively. When you've got higher yields in the bond market, that creates more of a cushion in your total returns to offset any weakness in equity markets. The famous 60-40 investment strategy where investors would have 60% of their portfolio in equities and 40% in bonds worked well up until the global financial crisis. But it didn't work so well when central banks were pushing bond yields down to very, very low levels. And we saw in the last couple of years, both bonds and equities uh, providing negative returns at the same time. I think now we've moved on. Bond yields are higher, therefore they can provide that hedge against weakness in equity markets. So to sum up, there are lots of reasons why I think interest rates are going to settle at a level which is, on average, higher than it was over the last decade or so. There are reasons why central banks are not going to cut interest rates back to the levels that prevailed before COVID, and why central banks may have to be more active, making smaller but more frequent changes in the level of interest rates in order to keep inflation under control, when the forces impacting on inflation may be both to the upside and the downside to more of an extent than they were during that quantitative easing uh, period. All of that adds up to fixed income being more of an attractive asset class, where I think you should have increased allocation in order to generate the kind of income uh, levels that mean for your entire portfolio, there'll be more stability in overall investment returns.